Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. We invite you to enter this portal of strange and unimaginable. I simply ask that you suspend your judgment and expand your mind in the vastness of the unknown. Come witness the wonder that is our reality. The truth is out there, and so am I. Wife of a demon hunter, extraordinary tales of all things paranormal. Hello, my name is Dorinda Stewart, and I am the wife of a demon hunter. Sunday school teacher Lizzie Borden became a media sensation when she was accused of murdering her father and stepmother with an axe on August 4, 1892, in Falls River, Massachusetts, but was acquitted. That was 130 years ago. The Borden house still stands. It is now called the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast, and it functions as a museum. It's still an attraction to murder and ghost hunting enthusiasts. My guest today has the inside scoop on all things Lizzie Borden. He is an actor writer, performer, and tour guide at the Borden Home, Rick McIntyre. Welcome, Rick. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Most people want to know if Lizzie did it or not. Um, I want to know about the ghost hunting and who haunts the place. But first things first, can you give us a brief rundown of the events that took place that day in August? Yeah, um, the, the police are called to the house uh, after 11 o'clock, uh, on, on August 4th, uh, for a murder, the murder of Andrew Borden. Uh, while they are, uh, checking out the house, they find the body of his second wife, Abby, in the upstairs guest room. Uh, investigations and autopsies reveal they were killed about 60 to 90 minutes apart, and 130 years later, it's still the epitome of the locked room murder mystery or locked house murder mystery. As uh, only Lizzie and her father and any unknown assailant were at home at the time. Uh, we know for the murder of the mother that the, the maid uh was outside during the time seen by the whole neighborhood. But uh, after that, things start getting very interesting. And, you know, the more you look into this story, the more you see that certain characters, uh, Uncle John Morse, Dr. Bowen, the family doctor, Lizzie, Bridget, and Emma, there's something a little weird about each one of them, uh, how they support each other's alibis uh, in a way that just suggests a little bit more than the coincidences that this may have been, you know, whoever did the murder, it seems to me that there was a definite uh, conspiracy to cover it up. Right. But, you know, Lizzie took the brunt of it. So, yeah. I mean, I find that kind of interesting that she would be that steadfast to whatever if she did or didn't do it and then still keeping herself quiet about it, you know, having it all played out. Sure, sure. And uh, I mean, there are there are uh, 
the more you read about this case, the more you can look at this, not just from the uh, murder uh, true crime story, but you can look into uh, race and societal, mm-hmm. uh, by race I mean ethnicities, uh, the relationships, the socioeconomic and political realities of Fall River at the time. Uh, you discover that uh, Andrew Borden was well-respected as a businessman, but not particularly liked. Right. Uh, and uh, again, this this case just is like a uh, what mathematicians call the a Mandelbrot set. The more you uh, the more you enlarge it, the more detail there is to be found. The more uh, nineteen times and uh, Andrew ten or eleven in the face. So those are personal murders. Those are murders of uh, passion and anger. That's don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they say, now, Lizzie, they say that, you know, she was a spinster, she was a Sunday school teacher, but, you know, this was the Victorian times, so, of course. Well, uh, he, uh, his alibi for that day leaves a considerable chunk of time, a little over an hour, where we don't definitely know where Uncle John was that morning. Uh, Uncle John, uh, although he was a, uh, a trader in animals at that point, he had, uh, previously been a butcher mm-hmm. he's a man who knows how to wield a hatchet or other bladed items um abby is the replacement for his dead sister sarah and she is also now in between the sisters and their inheritance right um an interesting detail is the the order of the murders is significant because if abby had died second she would have in, still inherited Andrew's fortune, and upon her death, the fortune would have gone to Abby's family. Ah. But because of the order of the murders, Emma is next in line. So again, it's there are all these little coincidences and things that by themselves could just be, you know, grim realities or uh, that's weird. But when you start stacking the number of coincidences in this case, it just, something is wonky. Yes, and there was a lot of players. There was like a neighbor. Uh, there was a druggist. Um, so tell, tell, talk about those. Well, there was a druggist who claimed Lizzie came in to buy poison at his uh, pharmacy, but um, the poison theory is abandoned when after the second autopsy, they determine there's no poison in Abby or Andrew's system. So whether or not Lizzie was trying to obtain poison for another reason than what she said, which was to get uh, moths out of a winter coat, um, there was no follow through. So, you know, they can't really prove intent for something that didn't happen. Right, right. In that regard. Um, there's also a, a, we know that Andrew had one bastard by the name of William Borden, who uh, there's a theory that he killed Andrew and Abby and, and, and uh, Lizzie was covering for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, you know, for some reason. Um, but William Borden ends up being committed to an asylum, so he's not a he's not a source for investigators. And uh, just the, the, the tools police had back then were very limited. Right. They could the difference between cow and human blood. Right. How they know that the famous hatchet head is not the murder weapon. <laughs> right. Um, but they, they fingerprinting had not been accepted by police departments back then 
and things like blood splatter analysis were had not been invented. Right. So what about the so, neighbor? Um, well, when, what I know about the, the neighbor is just that Adelaide Churchill, she was a nosy neighbor who uh, kind of got involved in everybody's business. I haven't heard about a, a neighbor who was suspect, but then again, there were, you know, they investigated a number of people who worked for Andrew Gordon and had wage disputes. Uh, if they invested everybody who had a business resentment against Andrew, they would have had to line up most of Fall River business community. <laughs> right. He was not a popular man. Right. He was respected as a hard uh, bargainer, but he was also described as bullheaded and rude. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, he pretty much liked to make money, and that was about it for him. He didn't he didn't like to enjoy the social niceties. Uh, or, or, you know, spend his money. So yeah. he's got this reputation as that kind of New England Scrooge. <laughs> yes. There, there was no physical evidence, um, they said, against her. Um, yes. And uh, there was no blood splatter. So one of the one of the defenses that they had is that because it was such a, a gruesome murder that she had no blood on her. So if she were, was yep. the one reeling the axe, um, there would have been some blood splatter. So... What, right. what's your what's your theory on that Lizzie to have done it by herself they say the window for each murder would have been about 12 14 minutes at most uh, so the theory at the time was that Lizzie strips down naked commits each murder washes and redresses after each murder uh, wow. again in 12 to 14 seconds uh, 14 minutes which is not really possible right and it was the uh, victorian time so they were very modest right so, and, and you know, layers and and dresses that button up the back yeah, they had a lot had a maid there to help her it's a lot more possible right right and you know, so what's interesting is for andrew's murder uh the maid's the alibi was she was upstairs trying to nap and lizzie's alibi was that she went out to the barn but the only living witnesses for each of those alibis is the other person. Ah, uh -huh. Lizzie is Bridget's witness and Bridget is Lizzie's witness. Right, right. So again, it's another convenient coincidence that just makes, you know, the more of these that load up, the less possibility that there can be that many coincidences in the entire universe, much less all at 92 uh, Second Street, <laughs> right, right, Fall River. Yeah, and so um, Lizzie did go, go to jail. So she was in jail during the the trial, well, correct? Leading up to the trial. Oh, leading up to the trial. Okay. Right. Okay. While she's receiving daily morphine injections from the family doctor to keep her calm. Okay. Uh, a dose of morphine that was uh, 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 extremely strong. So it, it gives a little bit of. Uh, background to why Lizzie might be giving these weird uh, meandering or self-contradictory answers while why she appeared emotionless in court. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she was zonked on morphine. Right. Now, now I heard, I read somewhere that she fainted. Is that true? She fainted when uh, her father's skull was displayed. Okay. Okay. And uh, that... Uh, Again, depending on how you felt about the board, and some people said it was, you know, studied 
dramatic action to engender uh, sympathy. Other people uh, took it, you know, more sympathetically. That right. of course she would think that's her father's, you know, right. uh, skull. But also consider she's on a double dose of morphine, um, dressed in Victorian clothing in a courtroom that reached a hundred degrees in the summer. Um, right. So yeah. Any, she was on know, the I'm good stuff, but you know, <laughs> it wasn't that yeah. good, right? <laughs> Straight. Right. But, Okay, so you had given tour, you guys give tours, and you, you um, give ghost tours, okay? So what are the some of the experiences that you personally have had in the house? Um, well, it started off with just, you know, noticing things like uh, out of the corner of your eye, you might see uh, a movement, and it's not there when you, when you turn. Um, the lights flicker or go off or change um, uh, illumination, um, brightness, uh, and the, these are not trick lights. These are not, you know, um, special effects. Um, another very common thing, and this is not really terrifying to people on the ghost hunt, but, uh, electronics get wonky, uh, either don't work, um, uh, or, uh, or the battery is suddenly drained. Um, some of the more significant uh, things. Um, I stayed in the house Christmas night with some with two friends of mine, and in the morning I woke up early and went down to the living room to make coffee. Uh, I at one point heard my friends wake up. One went to the um, the bathroom upstairs, and one came down the front stairs. So I waited till my friend was on the bottom of the stairs to, you know, lean out and and spook them. <laughs> like you to a friend in a haunted sure. house. Right. And when I leaned out, there was nobody on the stairs. Oh my goodness. Wow. And it was, it was one of those spooky moments, but it was also a little strange because it was eight in the morning on Sunday. So, uh, um, my first thought was, you know, I was the ghost late and should have been there at three in the morning when that would have really been scary. <laughs> right. But, uh, right. But, uh, anyway, a uh, short time later, my friend came down and she was surprised to see I already had coffee made. Uh, she thought I had come. She thought I had been the person on the front stairs that she heard. Oh. And I said, no, no. Uh, you know, I heard. I thought it was you because I heard our other friend get up and go to the bathroom up there. And and my friend looked at me and said that the third friend was still in bed, like snoring. Uh, when she left the bedroom so whoever was on the stairs and in the bathroom that morning was not either of my friends oh boy um and then i think the most significant thing uh i came into work one day and for a moment i saw a woman standing in a a very uh, uh nicely made black victorian dress wearing a, a, a nice hat that had a veil. But when I looked a second later, she was not there. And, and there just, there wouldn't have been enough time for her to have gone from my sight, you know, had it been someone just showing up in, in cosplay. Uh, and I thought it was, you know, again, one of those weird things that happens, but 
I try to stay a little agnostic in the house. I don't I don't jump at every noise I hear like, oh, that's a, that's a ghost, you know. Um, it could also be, you know, a light bulb that burns out, that kind of thing. Um, well, listen, Rick, I am a ghost hunter and I jump at stuff like that all the time. <laughs> Just to let you know. <laughs> what really shook me about a week and a half later was when I read uh, in the, in, uh, I believe it was One August Morning by Troy Taylor, which is an excellent book on the subject. Um, that Lizzie, uh, when she would go out in Fall River, which was rare, uh, she would go out incognito, dressed all in black with a hat and veil. Ah. And although she would come to check up on the property that she and her sister rented out fairly soon after they moved out, um, she never went back inside the house again. So those two things made me think that I might have seen Lizzie in the parking lot. Oh, sure. Um, the ghost walk through Fall River, um, so far it, it's mostly just historical. Uh, I, I haven't had any experiences on, on that, although I, I am finding out more and more about uh, Fall River uh, history that can include the Bordens or at least be around the same time period. Uh, but the ghost hunts at night, uh, those almost always uh, yield something. Okay. Um, one of the problems with them is the same problem with the whale watch. There's some days you go out and the whales are just not interested in, in being around. Right. So uh, it's, it's, it's not controllable that way. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I've had people using spirit boxes um hear the na- their own names spoken back ah. uh, for anyone who doesn't well i assume your your listeners would know what a spirit box but, is know, just in case they don't go ahead yeah um, it's a radio scanner that goes up and down either the am or fm frequency without stopping on a station uh, most of what you hear uh in the cheaper models is uh static and and just blips from passing station uh, on more sophisticated models, you can get filters to uh, dampen that out. What you will get frequently, and, and I've witnessed it, is hear words or phrases that are so specific to your question that it's hard to believe them coincidental. And I heard one woman with a very uh, unique Eastern European name uh, ask, you know, a spirit in the basement who are you trying to speak and hearing her own very unique name spoken back to her, but how it would have been pronounced in the old country. Oh, wow. And, uh, uh, people have, uh, also in the basement encountered or asked about a shadowy figure that is, uh, that has been reported from a number of people in the basement or the basement stairs. I've seen one video taken by a really courageous 11-year-old girl uh, uh, ghost hunter. <laughs> she asked me, you know, was there a shadowy thing in the basement? And I looked at her like, why would you ask such a thing, you know? Mm-hmm. I hadn't said anything about it. And she said, well, I saw this thing happen twice, and I only managed to film it once. And she showed me a video taken from the top of the basement stairs facing the little bit of brick wall down at the bottom and you see a shadow about as long and, and thin as, you know, say my arm 
come into view uh, of the camera from the left and then recede back. And she said that it happened twice. And wow. looking at that footage, there's nothing in the basement that should have cast the light or the shadow that made that. Wow. So, um, but, you know, you, you have a, a house where at least a couple times a week, going back to at least 1996, when the museum opened, um, people kind of casting out into the, uh, the ether or the other side. So when people say, you know, I think we're talking to someone, I don't doubt it. Right. Whether they're talking to, you know, Lizzie, who actually lived in uh, the ha- Maplecroft house for longer than she ever lived at 92 Second Street, whether you're going to get Lizzie there or not. I mean, I don't know how the ghost world uh, rules work, but I'm sure there's like lots of spirits that just, you know, get attracted by the number of people asking, hey, are you out there? <laughs> right, right. So, I, I have a theory. I have a theory. I was there. I, you know, I, you know, as how we met, I was there. I was there with my husband and a friend that we were staying with. And when I was in the room, um, Emma's room, or um, my husband first got poked, okay? And he thought it was me. And he yeah. turned around, he looked at me, and I wasn't anywhere around. Yeah. And I'm like, what are you looking at? And he goes, I thought you poked me. I'm like, no. So then I was in front of him. And then all of a sudden, I kept getting poked. And at first, I kept thinking, okay, he's, he's teasing me now. You know, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to ignore him. And then finally, it was a really big poke. And I turned around, and he was nowhere <laughs> around. And I'm like, okay. And so I don't know who's haunting that house. But to me, I felt like there was children there. So why don't you talk about what you guys think about in the, with the children? Well, there is an event that happened in the house next door, the yellow house um, next door that's uh, also, one of the buildings uh, there on Second Street that dates back to the time of the Bordens, uh, about 45 years before the time of the Borden murders, uh, next door, Lizzie's great uncle, uh, Lodwick Borden, I think that's his first name, mm-hmm. uh, lived there with his wife, Eliza Darling, and their three children. Now, Eliza Darling... Uh, goes mad over the years they think it might have been untreated postpartum depression because at one one day she takes her three children into the basement and pushes them into the well to drown them mm-hmm. killing the youngest uh, this is this is brought up in the, the Borden case uh, when the prosecution offers the defense a not guilty by reason of insanity plea deal and their theory is that there's madness in the Borden bloodline. The problem with that theory is Eliza Darling wasn't a Borden by blood, and the defense is able to find the surviving daughter who had grown up, still living in Fall River, married with children of her own, and she testified on Lizzie's behalf that, you know, there was no madness in their family. Um, But people who stay on the third floor of the the house sometimes report the sound of a little children playing and, and footsteps running around and they think it's the kids from next door uh, yeah. who've drifted over um, I don't know if they like hanging out with the other ghosts or <laughs> right. next to where I was killed for all eternity that just that seems really sad and unfair right. yep that's where I was killed 
Well, you know, there's there's the theories that, you know, people who are murdered sometimes will stay and haunt, you know, uh-huh. the areas that they're in. And, you know, suicides sometimes, too. They will, Same. you know, do a haunting or whatever. As, uh, yeah, Alexa Darling killed herself after, ah, after okay. murdering her children or attempting the murder of her children. There's some people who believe that the, the shadowy specter in the basement is Eliza Darling. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, another thing about the basement that I learned is the previous owners of the bed and breakfast used to do Ouija board seances in the oh, basement. Oh, fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Which the criminals do not allow Ouija boards in the house. Right. When if people ask, I tell them, can you name me a movie with a Ouija board in it that ends well? <laughs> I know, right? They are toys uh, at, at worst. They are things in the hands of people who don't know what they're doing. Right, and, you know, right. Well, the conjuring, the conjuring too. Remember that she made yeah. her homemade one, right? So. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. And uh, I think I've seen people try to get around that with... Uh, there was a, a group that one of the people in the group had a uh, Ouija board design on the back of their sweatshirt, oh. which I didn't think anything about. But when I came into the basement to, uh, you know, on the ghost hunts, we give people equipment and then uh, let them spend time in uh, four of the rooms of the Borden house, the three on the first floor, front room, dining room and living room, and then the basement. And, uh, you know, I came down and I, I the, the sweatshirt was suspiciously kind of laid flat on the bed oh goodness and i'm like you know there was no there was no planchette around so it didn't look like they you know but i didn't know but i'm also just like all right you know i mean they tell people don't poke uh, white sharks if you go down in one of those cages but i'm sure there are people who do and get you know cut so um yeah yep. the only thing we don't allow on the ghost hunt is uh, you know, I caught some people in the basement who were um, had had found like a broomstick or something and were tapping on the the floor. And the people in the living room, of course, thought that was something. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, I mean, people. I understand the need to have fun, but we really want the house to be an authentic experience. Right, exactly. Because you know, there's ghosts there, so yeah. let the ghosts do their thing. You know. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And just accept that some nights what you're going to get a lot of is flickering lights and drained batteries. Mm-hmm. Uh, but almost every night there's there's been something a little, you know, refreshingly spooky. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that just it's, it's never a boring job. <laughs> I bet not. I, and like I said, we we had fun. I mean, you know, we were poked by some children ghosts, you know, so that was, was like, okay, our, our job is done here, you know, so it, it worked out really well. <laughs> and that was during the day. So, you yep. know, they're there during the day as well. So, yeah. Now, of course, I have my own theory about the murder, which was that it was Mothman. Okay. <laughs> is, Mothman, is Mothman in your area? Is no, he... Mothman is uh, in in I think is in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, yeah, yeah. Okay, I've yeah. Been watching the documentaries, and I just have fallen in love with this sort of sad cryptid that, as far as we know, just kind of shows up and and then leaves when people show up, and may or may not show up prior to murders or uh, yes. disasters. Disasters, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, 
I, I made the joke one day that, you know, of course, Mothman could fly straight up. And, of course, Victorians never looked up in the sky because they were afraid of the wrath of God. And people nod along going, oh, that's interesting. And then I had to tell them I just made that up. Because <laughs> well, people don't know. They're so they're oh, yeah. so restricted in the Victorian times. You know, everything is so yeah, restricted. But, you know, but, I mean, I'm sure there was rebels right. there. I mean, look at the Borden, the Borden right. girls. Boys, they, they will... Uh, they will almost accept anything. Then <laughs> I started playing around with that, and I made up a version of the Lizzie Borden poem. Yes. That goes, Mothman did it. Here's the facts. He gave Abby 40 wax. His glowing eyes are because he's a grouch. He next kills Andrew on the couch. Bridget tells him, fly away. He drifts off over Buzzards Bay, leaving Fall River in a tizzy. The whole thing neatly blamed on Lizzie. That's right. That's great. And Thanks for sharing that, Rick. That, thank you. I was doing that poem at the end of a ghost hunt when, because um, one of the people on the ghost hunt had a Mothman tattoo. Ah. And we were talking about the documentaries and the movies and all of that. And I said, oh, I have this, you know, this poem. And I did the first verse of it. And someone had left their spirit box on. And we all hear the word, careful. <laughs> I'm out careful. Of the spirit box. And I'm like, <laughs> And the poem goes on and on like that, you know, uh-huh. like, I don't know what that was, but um, maybe I'll finish that poem outside the house. <laughs> so but even you know, the, the, the barn um, has its own uh, um, lesser moments, but, you know, everyone who works there has had a, a time where, uh, you know, we hear what we believe is somebody up in the uh, office um, only to find out that nobody is upstairs. Now, is that um, your gift shop, the barn? Is that the gift, gift shop? shop yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. It's, it's approximately the same shape uh, and size as the barn the Bordens had, which I, I guess was torn down sometime in the 20th century, kind of fell apart. Um, this is the same sort of structure about 13 feet further back than the Bordens far, uh, barn would have been. Okay. But uh, I came into work one, one night for, the, you know, the ghost uh, uh walk and ghost hunt and i uh walked in the gift shop i was only about as far in as the front counter and there was a knock at the door so i assumed you know one of the ghost uh tour people on uh hanging out in their car mm-hmm. and i went to the door and there was nobody there mm-hmm. and no you know there's no place anyone could have gone in that short amount of time that i wouldn't see right right because that parking so, lot is small. <laughs> yeah. So it's just one of those, you know, um, oh, nice to be back. Thank you. You know, like, right. was that? Um, again, I've never had any experiences in the house that make me feel uh, unsafe. Unsafe. That's good. Uh, well, Rick, we're running yeah. out of time here. So um, okay. we're, you know, this has been very fascinating. And we, we should probably have you back on because it's, you have a lot of it. stories to tell. But I just sure. have one question for you. Do you yes. who is haunting the Borden House? Who do you think? Who are the players that you think are haunting the Borden House? Well, the the most likely suspects, of course, are Andrew and Abby, as they were brutally murdered there. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you know, Ouija boards and and things like spirit boxes are almost like just dialing a phone number at sure. random. Sure. Uh, and, and instead of a voice, let's say you get text, and so you te- you text, I'm looking for my grandpa, is this my grandpa? And the text comes back, why, yes, this yeah. is your grandpa. 
right. how do you, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, that's what I always say about the Ouija board. It's like what people do is they always go, whoever here that wants to talk to us, come in. They're not specific about what they're asking for. They ask whoever's there. So if evil or whatever is there, they're like, okay, open invitation. Because, you know, they say that evil has to be invited in. And not necessarily, right. but sometimes it does. And then they don't dismiss it. Because once you open that board and then they freak out, sure. they run away, then they're sure. free to do whatever. So that's that's my that's my take on a Ouija board. It's not the word that's as dangerous as the people who use it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, it could, it, uh, I, I believe, again, my agnosticism is I don't know, but I don't take chances. Uh, when I come to work in the morning, I say good morning, ghosts, and I say good night when I leave. Um, I wouldn't have a job were it not for their brutal deaths. Let's sure, I know, right? I know. I, I, I find that really fascinating. After 130 years, we're still kind of worshiping or, or you know, acknowledging this this woman, Lizzie, about yeah. something she did or didn't do, you know? So it's fascinating locked room mystery. Yes, exactly. And the, more, right. the more theories and more uh, developments and we have, they only seem to to create more questions rather Absolutely. than... Absolutely. And then we're going to have to answer those the next time we talk. So uh, this, is, <laughs> this is Dorinda, wife of a demon hunter. Until next time.